1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Loose Units. This week, it's a doozy. Paul, there's a, a wonderful podcast that you and Tegan do called Dish, and you invited me to be a guest, and it's going to be on your show next week, but... For the Loose Units listeners, as a special treat, which I didn't know about, Paul, you've sort of organised for the Loose Unit listeners to get it now.
3: So basically what you're about to hear is Dad's on Dish. So Tegan and I do an episode every week of Dish, and the basic premise is we strand a wonderful, famous guest on our fictional island... And we make them bring one dish with them, their desert island dish. And we talk about food, and we talk about life, and it's, it's a funny, weird, strange podcast. And we've had all these amazing guests on, and Dad just kept going, when am I on the show? Well... He's on the show right now. Because we love you all so much, we've decided to give you Dad's episode of Dish right here, right now. So, what you're about to hear is an episode of Dish starring John Verhoeven, none other than John Verhoeven. Absolutely knocking it out of the park, by the way. It's such an incredible talk about true crime and food and all kinds of other weird stuff.
2: Dad's signature dishes. So, listen dearest listeners, if you like the show, please get across to subscribe to Dish. And you can get that on any of your, um, you know, Spotify, iTunes, yep. all that sort of stuff. Yep. And um, But look, I've already listened to every episode. In fact, I really look forward to it every week. You've, you've had some amazing guests. In fact, so amazing that I was actually, I was kind of a, a little bit surprised, Paul, that you had me on your show. Really? Uh, well, you know, sort of, I was quite in awe of some of your guests. So I'm, I'm privileged and honoured and, and thanks very much. And I hope all the loose units listeners um, get over there and give it, a, give it a bash. Here it is. John Verhoeven on Dish.
4: Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it? Every
3: week your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us. Hello. Hello. We'll ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip and culinary secrets.
4: But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody love food.
3: Welcome to Dish.
4: Paulie, I have had a realisation. And what is that? Okay, so what is one of the things that you criticise about me? Not criticise, that makes it sound mean. You tell me that I need to get the a lot.
3: Uh, better at parkour. <laughs>
4: You're always saying to me that I need a hobby. Yes. Okay. So what I've realized... Have you it's... considered parkour? <laughs> I've considered it. <laughs> I have not yet told the story of my mangled hand on this podcast, but do you want me doing parkour? You know what? Maybe not. Okay. Yeah. But what I'm trying to get to is, okay, so we're back in another lockdown yes. at the moment here in Melbourne, mm-hmm. and this one um, sucks a little bit. I mean, all of the other ones have sucked too, but I got a bit down... The other day when we first were announced that we're going back into lockdown and Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it is taking its toll. I know it is on so many people and that there are, you know, we've got listeners in Sydney who've been in this really long stretch of lockdown. Like this year's just throwing up challenges. It's funny that when so many things get taken away that you used to just have... You just used to have things like the ability to go and see your friends or your family or go and sit in a restaurant. Having something that you can control and cannot be taken away just feels so special. And for me, that has just been cooking lately. And the other day when I did get stressed when we were put back into lockdown, the first thing I did was reach for a cookbook. And I've never done that before, but I realized that it has become this this thing that I can hold up close to me and go, you know what? It doesn't matter if we're in lockdown six or seven or eight or nine, I can still make cake and you cannot, you know, you can't take cake away in lockdown. I
3: mean, I can because you make it and I physically take it away.
4: (laughs) I feel like I'm rambling, but do you know what I'm saying? of course. I mean, one of the great things about this is like
3: cooking is a skill. Like it's it's an applicable skill. And once you've learned it, you can apply it, right? The fact that this lockdown is trapping us indoors and is trapping us and stopping us from doing certain things and we are kind of using judo to kind of take that time and learn a thing which lockdown cannot take away from us, that is absolutely correct. But
4: it's also, it feels different from some other things. For example, learning French was a big hobby of mine. And last year uh, I stopped. I stopped just because during all the the lockdowns, it was was becoming really hard to fit more into my head. It's Mm. like I needed to simplify life instead of putting more in. But cooking doesn't feel that way because... If I learn French, it's not like I can stand there talking French to myself in the evening and be like, Mmm, that was some sweet French. Well, you
3: can, but you will be committed.
4: (laughs) Whereas with cooking, you do the thing and then you get the best bit. I mean, the doing the thing isn't even the reward. You get to eat the thing.
3: Well, you know what's really interesting is our guest this week on Dish has been through a similar cooking renaissance, although I will guarantee you dollars to donuts. It is very different from yours. He's a very, very strange man. He used to be a member of the New South Wales Police Force. Yes. He was in forensics. Yes. He was in the Air Wing. Yes. Uh, he was in the New South Wales Fire Brigade. He was in the Work Cover Authority. He ran a funeral home. And now he's the co-host and star of the acclaimed Loose Units podcast. I've written several books about him as well. Well,
4: because you haven't even mentioned the biggest role in his life yet.
3: Oh, he's my dad.
4: He's your dad. And
3: here he comes cresting over the... Ho- is he... Hang on. Is he soft sand running oh my god us. he's
4: soft sand running folks it's john Verhoven. Loose Units, John Verhoven. welcome to our island. Thank you so much for joining us here. Straight off the bat, have you ever been, you know, deserted on an island before?
2: Can we just rewind and go, how did I get to your island?
4: Well, that's a very good question because we saw you soft sand running over the horizon and we just assumed that you'd swum over here because of all of our guests. You've probably had the most swimming experience in your lifetime.
2: Yeah, I have to concur with you, dearest Tegan. Um, I'm just you know what I've been that excited secretly deep down around about my small intestine I've been wishing that you'd ask me on the show
4: but we already told you that you're going to come on the show
2: yes I know but I was so excited and now that when you <laughs> said to me a little while ago that I was going to be your guest I'm actually almost beside myself well how did you get to the island then um I used a hovercraft
4: great so all that swimming skill no no
2: but it sank <laughs> About fifteen oh. k off offshore. Right, right. So, hang okay, on. Where would you get the hovercraft? Oh, I stole it from. Well, you're an ex cop. You can't steal shit. No, I'm not a ex police. Can do anything. <laughs> okay, <laughs>
4: that's what the people are marching about, Paul. You've <laughs> got to understand. That's what the marches are about. Yeah,
2: I kept c- oh, c- oh, c- right. seeing these signs about like like hovercraft matter. <laughs> no, I was actually, I was doing an ocean swim right off the island. Yeah, right. And I came across. A deserted hovercraft.
3: Now hang on, hang on. You said you got the hovercraft, then the hovercraft broke down, then you swam. Now you're flipping it.
2: I want to
4: just point out actually, John, if you could if I could just for a second. Paul said this to me just before we started recording. He said, Hey, the more dad gets off track, the harder this is gonna be for me to edit. Now, Paul, oh. you are getting hung up in the minutia of the fucking hovercraft. fucking hovercraft. I think this is on your head.
2: Tegan, Tegan, all the guests that you have had so far and mm. will have into the foreseeable future. Yes. They're all they all bring something different to your Magnificent podcast
4: They do And not only the food But their life experiences And I, I just don't think that I mean we've had already Some wonderful guests And we've got some Incredible people That we'll hopefully Be speaking with very soon But none with quite The life experience That you've had Now a lot of the people Listening today Are probably Loose Units Listeners And that really Really excites me But in case anybody Has never heard of Loose Units Or John Verhoeven Before Or Paul Verhoeven He's my husband He's Jesus right across Christ. from me <laughs> John, you have been a police officer, a forensics investigator. Then you were a fireman. Then you ran your own funeral home. In amongst that, there have also been several other crazy, crazy experiences, such as uh, being a, um, what's that thing when you jump out of an aeroplane?
2: Oh, Skydiver. B- Skydiver. skydiving.
4: Skydiving. Was, like, was skydiving. As call
2: opposed it. to the other type of diving.
4: Yes, exactly. Um,
2: It starts with an M. Murder? Muff. Are you going to cut that out? <laughs> My fucking. Oh. Yes, we are. <laughs> Dad. Oh, dear. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
4: <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, with. So it's not, I mean, incredible, incredible life experiences, but originally I thought they don't link to food so easily, but then again. Your time, I mean, even just in forensics, food has, in weird ways, played a very strong role in your career.
3: Actually, Dad, there is a story involving food, and uh, I know listeners of Loose Units will have heard various versions of it, but I'd love to do... Look, the... You're right. This is a food podcast and we do have illustrious, lovely guests and you are from a completely different world. So I'd like to kind of mash those two together, you know, like putting like pear and prosciutto together, like savory and sweet. I
2: want to see if we can mash those flavors together. Could you tell us the story which I'm alluding to? It, it traumatized me, let me say, for some years in that what we thought, I mean, how, how deep do you want me to go with the story? Go
4: deep. I mean, yeah, it's your story, but by all means, tell it.
2: I, I used to dress up in forensics, I wore at a beautiful, uh, like a suede coat and very nice shoes and flares. There was a whole suburb in Sydney that was basically just, the power just shat itself. And we rocked up one late afternoon. The sun was kind of starting to go down. And I remember coming into this street and there were emergency service personnel. The police rescue had, had just set up this major production. And I remember going around the side of this beautiful house, that overlooked Sydney Harbour. But there was sort of a pall of... Um, yes? Paul, we've done this before. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I'm having deja vu. There was P-double-A-L, No, not P-A-A, that'd be PAL. That's hey, Paul. Oh, dear. <clears throat> there was a Paul. Yep. Shit. So this is a story about a woman who used to run a... She was the matron of a mental institution. Are you allowed to say mental institution? Or should I just call it what it used to be in the 19th century? It was a lunatic asylum. So the thing is, you two, that um, I was in the police force, what is commonly known as the junior man. And the junior man in the police force always got the shitty jobs. And this was a woman that had lived in this place for more than 30 years. She'd never been out of the house. So basically, she, she lived in the house. She didn't use the toilet provided. And she used to have all her... She had a bit of a drinking problem. I ascertained that because every single shelf, fridge, cupboard, oven, every single conceivable nook and cranny in this place had empty bottles in it. And people used to basically, she had a doggy door. There were no sign of pets. They'd probably, they were long gone. They may have even, well, dare I say it, she may have even eaten them. I can't clarify that. I
4: thought you were going to say, dare I say it, they might be in the house somewhere or trapped under boxes. Not she might have eaten them.
2: <laughs> well, I, I think at one stage she was, you know, she would have liked a bit of variety in her, um, with, with her diet. Um, and she completely lost the plot. Um, one of the most memorable things, aside from what I'm about to tell you, was that when I went into her bathroom, her bath had been dripping for, let's say, 30 to 40 years. Now, when water drips over a long period of time, it creates silt. And the silt had virtually filled the bath. I feel as though I was way too young to experience what I did experience. I mean, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but it technically was, at this stage, a crime scene. And there were no police allowed into this house. The police rescue had set up massive spotlights for us so we could actually see, because it was our job to go through this house and figure out, you know, what had happened but just prior to me going into an area where I found a particular person lying in this absolutely atrocious sort of room with a metre high of, of just filth, it was, it, was, it was so bad. And the stench, the stench was a, a combination of various you know bodily excretions, rancid food, just rot mold, mildew, dankness, all of those things that you would expect in a house that had not been entered into or left by the sole occupier in probably four decades. And she was a hoarder, wasn't she? And she was a hoarder. And being the junior man, my colleague said, "Uh, John, it's your job to uh, sort of make your way over. And we could see that there was a woman, elderly, lying in amongst this. Imagine if you go to a, a garbage tip in the country, where all the refuses and just picture your worst nightmare and then in, in amongst that is a human lying and she from a distance it appeared that her brain was sort of all over her head as I made my way I was fairly convinced that someone had bludgeoned her to death I remember getting this special sort of like it's like a series of little uh sort of paper strips and they you sort of you take one out of the bottle and you sort of wave it around and sort of mix it in with all this red fluid it looked like as i said it looked like brain that had basically exploded out of a skull and something just wasn't right because it wasn't reacting and it wasn't it, it was indicating that this stuff on her head was not blood what i did i i looked around and near her head was a takeaway container and inside the container <laughs> Was the remnants of sweet and sour pork? Oh God! And those little pork chunks oh. that I thought was brain matter was, in fact, sort of a crumbed, battered, deep-fried—you know, those those lovely segments that you yeah. have. Yeah, And the we're going to share carrots. that
4: recipe with everybody later on after the show.
2: <laughs> oh God, it was so traumatic. Anyway, look, so that was kind of a, a food encounter in a way. I. I feel as though we've sort of brought a little bit of uh, the forensic side of things. But um, when I was born, my mother and father decided, and very cleverly hats off to my mum, she wanted to come up with a way to delineate and distribute the various duties within a household. Mum and dad came to an agreement where my father would cook, and my father... Pretty well up until the day he died, he cooked breakfast, lunch and dinner for approximately 60 years. My mother never, ever cooked dinner. She did other things. What
4: was dinner like in your household when you were growing up then?
2: My father was a phenomenal cook. He cooked some of the best Indian, Chinese, Malay, Italian, everything. And he was a master of desserts, like his, you know, his cream caramels and his... Um, what are those beautiful things? Panacotta and yeah, he was he was extraordinary, and he had this this rule. He'd spend a day in the kitchen on weekends, just cooking these feasts. He had a custom made um, pantry put into this incredible kitchen. It was like the TARDIS. You'd you'd go in and you just wouldn't come back out for hours. It was so big, and because he was also a hoarder of food, which had come about because of his time. During the Second World War, where some of the stories that he told me about, um, like him and his dad, my grandfather, at midnight they would leave on push bikes during German occupation and they would have to cycle out to these farms outside of uh, the city of Eindhoven in the south of Holland just to get one egg. They had a pet pig. My father loved the pig and The time came where they had to kill the pig um, because, you know, they had to eat. My dad tells the story because they had to be very, very careful because these were terraced houses in Eindhoven and you had to be very careful about your neighbours if they heard just weird things happening. For example, the toilet flushing many, many times because, you know, when they killed this pig, they had to get rid of all the evidence, i.e. the intestines, and Dad used to have to spend literally weeks flushing tiny bits of this pig down the toilet. Isn't it incredible? Oh,
4: God. Sorry, I just... It's amazing. I'm just also having this this great big wave of respect for Paul because I'm just trying to think how to tie everything that we've just heard there from from murder to your childhood cooking to, to, to pig murder into a nice little segue. So I'm floundering.
3: Hang on. and Hang on for dear life. <laughs> So, Dad, here's what I will ask. All of your stories about crime and food seem really odd to me because if I had to see the things you'd seen and hear the stories you'd heard, whether it's about flushing bits of pig carcass during the occupation of Holland or, you know, finding a woman with brains but not brains is actually Chinese food. I mean, you love Chinese food. How do you go from seeing that stuff to then kind of enjoying
2: a meal? And did those things ruin food for you? Well, I used to go to the um, the Glebe morgue which was, at the time, the largest mortuary in the Southern Hemisphere. And I used to go there when I was in forensics to be involved in identification of unidentifiable humans, postmortems, etc. So it's pretty freaking bad. Even on a really, really good day, it's shit. Now, I remember there was a particular guy that worked at the Glebe Division of Forensic Medicine, a.k.a. the morgue. Every Sunday, he used to do a cook-up at the morgue. And I was in there one day, um, doing some fairly grotesque body identification. And he invited me into the staff kitchen, where we sat and had a memorable minestrone. I remember gingerly picking through the minestrone, worried that I'd come across a fingernail. Why would you go and eat where the primary source of meat is dead bodies? I mean, and also hygiene-wise. I'm just telling you some of the things that went through my mind at that time. When you look at, sort of, you analyse the human mind, I mean, there's the rational and the irrational. It's like at night time, two in the morning, you wake up and you need to go to the toilet, but you think there's someone under the bed and you're frozen in terror. Your Dad, you're in your 60s. You can't... Well, that's what little children think. I think anyone with a fertile imagination is capable of getting shit scared. Yes, yes, yes. I just meant that I've seen your bed, it goes all the way to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So well it could be a really like a thin man. Right, like right. a paper man, yep. which is even more frightening. It is. Yeah, he's turns sideways, you can't see him. And I try not to think about things during the day too much because I know that I could dream about them at nighttime.
4: That's a really interesting thing that you've said because uh you mentioned that you were too young to have experienced that. And I I agree. I have been privy to so many stories from yourself and Christine from your careers and even some of the ones that you will never, ever be able to share with the Loose Units audiences because they're just too, they're too much. Mm. And I look at you both and I'm often shocked at how normal you are and how grounded you are. Paul and I, for example, have had to start this thing where I'm not really supposed to watch true crime anymore. You know how Netflix has always got some true crime documentary? I'm not allowed to watch them because it it just messes with me. It really skews Mm. my view of humanity, Mm. actually. I don't like Mm. knowing that people can be so horrible. How have you gotten to the point where you both live really normal, happy, positive, somewhat grounded lives? You feel very grounded to me.
2: I guess I'm blessed to just wake up feeling generally pretty
3: pretty good. Um since we started doing this show, dad, you've mentioned that you have, you know, been really waiting to be asked on the show. And since we started the show, you have entered this weird Cooking Renaissance Thanks to Instagram And First of all Can you please explain To the listeners of the show How you would define A
2: signature dish What is a signature dish? Why do I get the feel That you're taking the piss out Paul? I don't know where you'd get that impression Because back. I'm just I'm just picking up some subtle Kind of weird little things Happening in your voice Right When I met Christine um, And I wanted to impress her In the very very We're talking early to mid 80s Yeah I had this cookbook that I think belonged to my mother, which is weird because she never cooked. And it was a hardcover book. I think it was an Australian book from the 1970s. The the golden days, the halcyon days of cooking in Australia. Ugh. Cough, cough. But one <laughs> of the dishes was lobster thermidor. Now, what is lobster thermidor? Well, it requires... it's You need a lobster. And a thermidor. Well, basically what you did, you got a lobster. Yep. You cut it in two, long ways. Yes. You open it up. Mm-hmm. You then cooked the lobster which doesn't take a long time to cook it goes nice and white and it's very very dense the lobster you then create a magnificent thermidor sauce which i remember had tabasco and a couple of other things in it maybe a bit of cream anyway you sort of then stirred it all up you then put it back into you pressed it back in but of course like removing during a post-mortem when you remove someone's intestines you can't actually put them back in do you know that and you can't. They kind of. It's like having a sort of a hundred foot sausage, that's in a big packet, but really neat. And then all of a sudden, the sausage just pops out, like a spring loaded snake. And then by the time you sort of manhandle this big sausage, <laughs> that's a sound bite. <laughs> no, but listen, no. Hear me out. By the time you get it back in to where it's supposed to be, where's the sausage meant to be? Recoiled. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so... Once you... Anyway, yeah. the thing is, Tegan, Tegan.
4: Yep. So you've taken all the lobster meat out, you've cooked it, you've created this Thermidor sauce.
2: You pop it back in, but it doesn't all go in, so it's kind of... There's a bit of a mound.
4: Okay, that's nice.
2: Like a sausage with a... You know, you haven't quite tucked it away, and there's a bit of a mound.
4: You've got a sausage mound <laughs> oh. in the lobster. Good.
2: <laughs> oh, there's no sausage in the lobster, Tegan. Just get with the program. <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, then... Yep. Guess what you do? What? you grill it. Oh, oh, and I forgot to tell you something really exciting about it. Mm-hmm. You use a certain type of cheese yep. and you it kind of melts and goes slightly brown and then you whip it out and serve it. That is a lobster Thermidor.
3: I actually think,
2: Tegan, that we can turn that into a functional recipe.
4: All right, so that's one of your signature dishes. How many times would you say annually you whip out lobster Thermidor?
2: The thing is, Paul and Tegan, that I haven't cooked it In more than 35 years.
3: And uh, do you know how often you sign things with a
2: signature? I'll just let you two into a little secret. I signed one document 40 years ago and I haven't signed it since. I mean, a signature dish for me is something that I just call it a signature (laughs) dish. (laughs) Finally! No, but hang on. But there's a certain kind of... I think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, what is a signature dish? That's what we've been asking you for 20 minutes. No, I know, but the thing is, a signature dish for me is something it's one of my limited but very very fantastic part of my fantastic repertoire albeit fairly small but I'm a creative cook see I don't use recipes right now that the- and that's so it's intuitive it's 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 organic it manifests itself from somewhere deep within the bowels of my whatever not my bowels but the bowels of my my psyche. So
4: what sort of stuff have you been cooking? Because at the moment you are based in Sydney. Mm. So you are in a pretty tough lockdown at the moment. I'm sure that Loose Units listeners know this, but you don't have the biggest house in the world. So you and Christine are living in pretty close quarters. What are mm. you both cooking to really keep spirits up at the moment?
2: I've taken it upon myself to basically do all the cooking. So I, I, I love it. I get excited. I'm. Do you know what I'd love to do? I would love to parachute go to like we could do like a uh, australia wide and i just rock up at people's houses they kind of know i'm coming but that's all they know i go straight into the kitchen but this would be a goer where i just look inside the fridge or or they give me sort of carte blanche to explore the ingredients and whip something up no recipe (laughs) Tegan, why is Tegan laughing in the background?
1: Because...
3: Like a church mouse. What if I rock up to strangers' houses, parachute? No, metaphorical parachute. And I just, like, I just cook whatever. Look, if you've got some flour and some eggs. Oh, uh... Look, here's what's happened. You started cooking a lot suddenly. First of all, I think there's a serious question in there about how interesting it is that many of us fear that we're going to become our fathers and you are literally falling into your dad's role of doing all the cooking. That's, I think that's interesting psychologically.
2: Secondly, You told me that you improvised rissoles, right? And you mocked me, Paul. That's why I was slightly reticent. But my signature rissoles... Talk us through your signature dish. If you talk to Christine about the ribs that I do, Mm -hmm. she will hands down tell you that they are magnificent.
4: Can you talk us through your rib recipe?
2: No, because it's got so many different ingredients. You don't again. know. You <laughs> don't
0: know.
3: If you are the kitchen savant that you claim to be, then if surely it behooves you to kind of write these things down for posterity. I can
2: tell you, I don't write anything down, Paul. I'm not going to say I have a, a mind like a steel trap because it's got, it's very, it's loosely woven. Things do slip through. I can assure you. However, let me just—shall I give you one of my signature ingredients for my ribs? Well, this will just tantalize you. Okay, go on. Marmalade. Okay, you want another one? Yeah. Mustard. Wait, on the ribs? No, it's part of the elixir, the, the source of life. What? Yes, it's a sauce that I make. For and what? I shake it and rub it. On the ribs? Yes. That's what I meant. No, but I, I, I create it in a bottle I and mean, then do all sorts of things to it. It's incredible. Oh, can I tell you one of my another signature thing that I do? Okay. Oh, God, you ready for this? I, I boil potatoes and I, I know that everyone... And lots of people have done it, but I, I have a technique. Uh-huh. I then put it under the palm of my hand and I squash it. I then bake the shit out of it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Dad's got an easy bake
4: oven. <laughs> I'm just thinking about no, this incredible hang- edit you can do. No, with but hang on. Where you can take little snippets like I take it in the palm of my hand and I squash it and I flip it out and you can't get the sausage back in.
2: My- I tell you, I. Up until recently, when I, I, I lashed out last week, I bought this basting brush, which was so exciting. The thing is, I improvised over the last few months. And can you guess what I used instead of a basting brush? Think I'll tell you. Okay. An absorbent towel. Yeah, I rolled it up like a cigarette. Look, I'm very I'm fastidious when I cook. Dad, I like the idea that mum comes home from work and she
3: comes in, and like Richard Dreyfus making a potato mountain, you turn around, covered in bits of
2: marmalade,
3: basting ribs with a
2: towel. Paul, there's a word that comes to mind after listening to your little diatribe then. What a- Uncharitable. Okay? Now, I made signature pizzas. Okay? And I've had a fair bit of feedback over my signature pizzas. Mainly people saying, where's the cheese? <laughs> Which I found moderately offensive. I will say this on the record, is that Christine, uh, Paul's mother, is a phenomenal cook. Would you not agree, Paul? She's
3: amazing. And I think that's partly why I was so interested in your cooking renaissance is because mum has been such... I mean, we didn't travel when we were younger. What we did was food, you know, and mum bought incredible things and made these amazing dishes. And yeah, I think, yeah, mum's an amazing cook. Dad, all this talk about food... Um, first of all, I'm very hungry now. I know. That's, <laughs> Me too. That's officially happened. But I think what, we, what we'd like to do is figure out... Because you are now trapped on this island, right? There's lots of sand on which you can do your soft sand running. And because we are on an island, fasting won't be a problem because food is scarce. But... We want to know what your desert island dish is. What is the one dish you brought with you to this island? Am I restricted in terms of
2: the number of ingredients? No, no. No. It can have as
4: many ingredients as you like. Perhaps even given your history and your career, perhaps we could put it to you this way. What would your last meal be? If you you had arrested yourself and you were now on death row, what is your last meal?
2: So this is like the eternal meal. Yes. For me to have... Magically refilling itself forever yes. on the island. Yes. And can I have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? That's
4: all you can have it for because you can't have anything else. It.
2: Can I have a dessert with it as well? No, uh, it's, no, no, no. it is
4: one dish. But
3: having cool. said that,
2: that okay. if, if there is a dessert that you love so much that you want to make it your dish, you can do that. No, I don't want to do that. Okay. I couldn't do right. that. I just couldn't live off dessert. All right. Okay, this is really exciting. Lamb cutlets crumbed. I'm going to go with the crumbed lamb cutlets. Nice. As the meat. That's that's a given. Okay. With mashed potato Good. whipped into a like a, a tuft, like an ice cream, like a soft serve. Mm. Just sits there, maintains its shape, doesn't just fall over on itself. Okay. And then the vegetable that I'm gonna choose, fresh peas, I like to get a with a fork, push a bit of potato onto the fork, cut a piece of the cutlet, get some peas happening, which adhere to the potato. I'm
4: not hearing gravy, John. Are we talking a gravy?
2: Please p- Tegan, no. No. Guess what? What? I need a little bit of salt and pepper. Okay. But I also need something really exciting on the side. Mint. Some
4: mint jelly.
2: No, some mustard. <gasps> Grainy or um. Not. No, just your. Dijon. St- no. English. German mustard. You know, just to mix those things e- each time you cut. Now, that's exciting. But guess what? what? There's a bonus. Okay. There's a big bonus in this dish. Because guess what you get to do at the end? Poo it out. You you get to gnaw down on the bones. And what I do with a cutlet bone is that I actually insert the whole bone... In your butt? ...almost <laughs> so it's tickling.
1: <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Please.
2: You're not sorry, Tegan. No. Tegan, please no, don't be sorry. sorry. Where
4: do you insert the bone?
2: <laughs> I said bone, not boner.
4: I know you
2: said. I insert the bone into the back of my almost so it's tipping my tonsils <laughs> I, <help>. what the <laughs> fuck is going I on? clench I bite down on the bone <laughs> and then I pull it out oh, and you know you get that sort of gristly effect no. and you remove that with your top and bottom teeth and I will literally and I'll tell you what I do I do like a half chew on the bone isn't that painful not for me it's not <laughs> <laughs> no
4: must be for the other guy. <laughs>
2: And you didn't have to say that, I mean, honestly. Good.
4: I actually think it's a really solid dish. And although Paul and I have not even revealed our dishes yet, one of the ones that we had been discussing is just a classic, which is sometimes you just want sausages, mashed potatoes, peas and gravy. Yeah. Now, I know that you're not into the gravy, but that idea of your meat and two veg or meat and three veg, sometimes that's a very comforting meal. And I'm very glad, John, that you have brought just a really good, strong dish to the island.
3: Absolutely. And Dad, we're very, very happy that you're here. You can never leave. So we'll be doing Loose Units every week from the island from now on. Fantastic.
4: I am so excited that we got to have your dad on the show. That is lovely.
3: Yeah, he's been really keen about this for a long time. And if you are a Loose Units listener, hey, welcome to the island. We're so happy to have you here. And Dad talked about Lobster Thermidor. And so what I thought I'd do is basically turn that kind of vagary into an actual recipe. So, Dad, I hope you approve of this, but we have cobbled together a recipe for John's Lobster Thermidor.
0: Really?
3: Yes, we have. Now, the actual recipe will be in written form on our Instagram page at Dish Island, but I'm just going to run through. You know what? I'll just run through some of the ingredients and give you a vague method right now. Okay, okay? go for it. So you've got uh, cooked lobster.
4: Okay. Now, lobsters, I mean, that
3: is a very expensive ingredient, isn't it?
4: It is a bougie ingredient. I think it would sit there, you know, with uh, Georgia Loves Foie Gras. Uh, this is not the everyman dish. This is a fancy dish. Well,
3: that's not the everyman man. Uh, then of course you've got butter, shallots. You know you got. Oh, it says fish stock in this one. White wine, double cream, English mustard, lemon juice, chopped parsley, black pepper, Parmesan cheese, and then of course Tabasco for some reason. And this
4: is though what will make it the unique John's Lobster Thermidor is that on top of all those beautifully finely balanced, I'm getting a real French vibe. You're gonna throw Tabasco in there as well. Dad's.
3: I mean, Dad's cooking. How do you feel about the no recipes, making things up method?
4: Here's where it scares me is that I feel that <laughs> <laughs> I feel that you get to that point in your cooking journey once you have sort of really nailed the basics and you've you've been cooking with recipes for so long that mm. you can intuit your way around the kitchen. Yeah. That said, we've spoken to your mum and she said that your dad's wristles were pretty bloody good. She
3: keeps mouthing the word help whenever she's on video chat, though. I think mum's too tired to say no. I think mum's just worn out and she's just, you know what, let him wear himself out.
4: But here's the thing, you know what, I completely get where he's coming from. I, we were saying this at the beginning of the episode, food and what it means to people has changed in the past couple of years. Lockdown has changed our relationship to what we eat and how we prepare our food and how we store our ingredients, whether we're hoarding, whether we're not hoarding. And the fact that your dad find some peace in his day by spending three hours making his own special brand of rissoles. You know what? I really respect that. I'm really
3: happy for him. I'm glad he's discovered cooking and I'm really happy he's on the island because now I won't have to head back to the mainland to do Loose Units twice a week. (laughs) So we hope you enjoyed this episode of Dish starring my dad. If you are here from Loose Units, make sure you like and subscribe. And you know what? Thank you so much to everyone for listening to the show. We've had such a great time doing it. We really
4: have. And you know what? The more guests we get on the island, the more crime there is no doubt going to be. And for you Loose Units listeners, I'm pretty sure there'll be a murder soon.
3: That is so dark.
4: (laughs) So head over to Instagram and please follow us at Dish Island. Subscribe to the podcast. We can't wait to serve up more incredible recipes and tantalising dishes as the series unfolds.
3: Don't forget to follow us on Instagram
2: at Dish Island.
4: Dish is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
2: And then by the time you sort of manhandle this big sausage, you know, you haven't quite tucked it away, and then you whip it out, I then put it under the palm of my hand and I squash it. There's a bit of a boner in my bowels that I actually insert the whole boner, almost so it's tickling tonsils. I clench and then I pull it out. I do like a half chew.